Good Physics Day, everyone. Today is a special release of Physics Alive. Two episodes for the price of one. That's right, twice is free. The 2021 American Association of Physics Teachers AAPT Summer Meeting is currently underway. And each year, a handful of physics educators are recognized for their contributions. Awards go by names such as the Orsted Medal, the Doc Brown Futures Award, the soon-to-be-renamed Millikan Medal, the Klopsteg Memorial Lecture Award, the Homer L. Dodge Citation for Distinguished Service to AAPT, the David Halliday and Robert Resnick Award for Excellence in Undergraduate Physics Teaching, and the Paul W. Zitzowitz Excellence in K-12 Teaching Award. I would love to have an opportunity, and the time, to interview each of these individuals. Well, there's a lot of daylight left this year, so it may still happen. But to get the ball rolling, I reached out to the two Excellence in Teaching awardees, and they graciously agreed to join me for these episodes. Both episodes are being released on August 1st, which just so happens to be the date that they are receiving their awards at the meeting and giving a plenary talk. So whether or not you have a chance to attend the meeting this summer, you'll be able to get a glimpse into their classrooms and hearts and learn why they have humbly earned such accolades. Welcome to Physics Alive. I'm Brad Moser, and I want to help fellow educators spark new life into the physics classroom. Each episode, I'll draw inspiration from teachers, researchers, and science communicators. I hope you enjoy. In this episode, episode number 25 of Physics Alive, I speak with the 2021 Paul Zitzowitz Excellence in K-12 Physics Teaching Award winner, Bradford N. Talbert. He is a physics teacher at Lone Peak High School, Highland, Utah. This award is in recognition for contributions to pre-college physics teaching, and awardees are chosen for their extraordinary accomplishments in communicating the excitement of physics to their students. Brad Talbert's success as a teacher has previously been recognized with the 2004 Horace Mann Crystal Apple Award for Teaching Excellence, the 2005 Presidential Award for Excellence in Mathematics and Science Teaching, and a 2009 USTA Outstanding Physics Teacher Award. I warn you, you might become enamored with this excellent fella as he speaks, so beware. Let's get started. From one Brad to another, hello, and welcome to Physics Alive. Congratulations on being awarded the 2021 Paul Zitzowitz Teaching Award. Thank you. And I often like to start with a moment of gratitude. Who has been an important mentor in your life and career, and what role have they played in shaping your path? Boy, that's a good question. I always, I always think back to my high school math teacher, actually, um, as being a positive influence on my life. Uh, he was just a kind man and was very patient uh, with high school students. At least from my point of view, he was always very patient. And so I've always, I've always kind of think back to him when I think of somebody that uh, that deserves a shout out. Um, there's uh, another person who's been a large influence in, in my teaching style uh, is Dwayne Merrill, who's, I think, the secretary of AAPT right now. Anyway, he's, he's a U local Utah teacher. Um, and one of the very first, one of the very first uh, NSTA meetings I went to, he, he was doing a demonstration and I, I moved at the wrong time and bump. He was going to flick the broom and knock the eggs into the glasses. And I moved at the wrong time and jiggled the whole thing. And <laughs> luckily, not, no, no, eggs fell, no eggs fell at the wrong time. But that's kind of my first memory of Dwayne. And he's been, a big, he's been a big influence in my life as well. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you you mentioned patience and and kindness uh, as as a as a trait that stood out, and that's definitely something I think of with with teaching. There's it's so maybe almost underrated the patience and kindness in the classroom and how big of an effect that can have. Yeah, it's it, it's I think for teenagers especially. You know, I teach high school. We primarily teach tenth graders. And those kids, they they like to act like they're like they're everything, but they're really quite fragile. And their uh, their self perception of themselves, in spite of the face they put on, is fairly fragile. And a little bit of kindness and confidence building sure goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I don't want this next question to be controversial or anything like that. But what is something that you believe to be true about good teaching and learning that other educators might disagree with? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I thought about that when I first read it, and I, I'm not 100% sure that other people would, would disagree with this. Uh, we're, back to that, we're back to that compassion. I, I really, really believe that kids need multiple opportunities to show that they're ready to learn the material, right? I try hard to make the class, my class, uh, something that anybody can succeed at, um, but sometimes they're not quite ready to do that. And sometimes they don't meet their own expectations. And sometimes they're just lazy because they're 15 and 16 years old. Um, and so I, I, I know there's teachers out there, and I, I teach with some of them that are very authoritarian, very strict on, no, we're teaching them responsibility. And how are they ever going to learn personal responsibility if we don't, if we don't you know, set the deadlines and be really hard on the deadlines? And I... I just can't bring myself to do that. I, I, I find ways to, to go out of my way to help kids succeed. There's many different teaching styles out there. So certain things will work for, for certain yeah. people, I'm, I'm sure. But, you know, I'll say. And that's, and that's certainly true. Uh, but I'll, I'll say certainly what, what, you're, what you're speaking about is something that I, I very much resonate with. Um, yeah. And and in that sense, it seems to have worked for you. You're you're no stranger to the award circuit. So <laughs> you've received honors in 2004, in 2005, in 2009, and now this award with AAPT in 2021. <laughs> so clearly, fellow teachers, administrators, and most importantly, students have taken notice of what you've brought to teaching all these years. So in reflecting on your career, what are what are some of the qualities that you find most important? in your role as as teacher? I'm always a little bit shocked when an award comes up because I feel like I'm just going to work and doing my best to help kids learn some physics. Um, and then absent learning physics, at least help them learn some self-confidence and, and belief in themselves. Um, and I'm always a little bit surprised, like, wow, somebody wants to give me an award for doing what I, what I think teachers across the nation do every day, right? I don't, I don't think I'm exceptional in that way. Um, I, I just, I keep going back, you know, I keep a list. Let me see if I took a picture of it. I keep a list on my keyboard at, or on my, on my monitor at school. Here it is. I keep a list of the qualities. Really, I, I kind of anticipated this question. And I, I wrote a list down one time of, of qualities that I want to try to develop in my, uh, in my classroom. And, and one, one is long suffering or patience, right? Being really kind of, working with kids for the long run to help them succeed. Uh, gentleness, uh, kindness, love, um, knowledge, because you got to come into it with knowledge. And so just a, just a list of ways that I think human beings deserve to be treated that I, that I try to treat my kids that way. Um, I, I try to really exemplify those qualities and I, I fail a lot. Um, but, but I, I think, I think those are important. I think, 
I try to make the class exciting. I do strange things like jump up on the on the counter and show off my mismatched socks. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'll, I'll I'll sing goofy songs that I just kind of make up on the spot. Um, not anything fantastic. I, I tell bad jokes and I laugh at my own bad jokes and try to convince the kids that they're <laughs> wonderful jokes. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an expert at, at dad physics jokes that none of my family likes. And so I, I try to bring, I try to bring humor. I try to bring kindness and love and respect and, and hope apparently that's been successful. But again, I don't think I'm doing anything that teachers across the nation aren't doing. So I'm curious what an average day or maybe an average week looks like in your classroom. Is there a structure that guides the class? Uh, for instance, your biography mentioned that you were trained in modeling, uh, in modeling instruction. Does that play a role in what you do? Oh, of course it does. Um, we So a typical day or week, we come in, um, there's usually some kind of a, of a bell ringer quiz to kind of get them thinking because they we, we teach on an A-B schedule at my school. And so it's been 48 hours in between class periods for the for the kids, unless it's a weekend, in which case it's been even longer. Um, and they've had seven other classes that they've had to go to and think about. And mm-hmm. so uh, usually do a bell ringer or something that's kind of that's literally taken exactly from what the what the previous activity or lesson was the previous day. Uh, the kind of uh, its intent is to try to help get their brains kind of kicked back into physics and, and working on that. It also gives me a chance to, to take role and to do a few of those administrative tasks that, that teachers have to do. Um, anyway, we do that. And then, you know, it's just kind of whatever, whatever we need. Sometimes it's questions and answers with things that they were confused about from the assignment. Sometimes it's jumping into an activity or a lab. Um, sometimes it's, 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 Pull it, you know, jumping into the lesson and showing a demonstration, something that they want to see, hopefully want to see, something I want to show them. Um, and um, so it's it's kind of a very fluid sort of thing. I guess I don't have I don't have something I would say. Yeah, this is this is my routine. I do this every single day, other than a bell ringer quiz that I try to be pretty faithful about because it's a it just kind of gets class started the right way. And and I just I tried. I have a I usually have a, a topic of the day. And I want to know where I want to try to get to by the end of the class period, as far as a discussion and teaching goes. But I kind of, I kind of let the kids, I kind of let the kids' curiosity and 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 their interest play a role in, in how we get to that end, right? So no two class periods look quite exactly the same. And you know from teaching multiple class periods that often there's something I forget in first period that I remember by the time I get to third year, <laughs> oh, I meant to, t- I meant to mention this. And so then you, you know, you have to go back and do catch up all that sort of stuff too. Uh, I'm sure nobody else does that, but no, but probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned teaching 10th graders. Does that mean, are you doing physics first or is it sort of, we're not, we're not officially, we're not officially a physics first. Um, but we at our school really, really, really feel like physics early is is the way to go. Physics is, we think, fun, foundational for better success in chemistry and even advanced biology and other AP classes. Um, so we we really push the tenth graders into physics. Many, you know, in Utah, many of the kids have taken biology in ninth grade. Hmm. And so when they come to the high school, a lot of high schools say, well, you do biology and then you do chemistry and then you do, some, you know, you end up physics in your senior year and you have 12, 12 of the really elite K 
kids, or at least the ones who can push buttons on a calculator really good <laughs> um, in your physics class. And, and we've flipped it on its head. Uh, we feel like, we feel like the, the kids do much better. Actually, we have, we have data to back it up that the kids do much better in chemistry having had physics first. Physics is a lot more hands-on, mm-hmm. a lot yeah. more concrete. Uh, yeah, there's some kind of strange topics out there like acceleration, which I don't, I don't think they ever get, uh, really. I, that's just, acceleration is just one of those things that you have to hear three or four times before it starts to make sense for most of them. They always think it's velocity. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so, but, but because physics can do a lot of really hands-on things, you get to, you get to, to, roll cars you get to you get to roll things down ramps you get to shoot you know balloons and rockets into the air um you get to do all these things you get to launch eggs at the brick wall you know um <laughs> you get to do all these all these fun things that that have a tie back to the concepts you're trying to get them to understand and yeah they have fun and do they sometimes miss the point of the activity sure they do but it just it helps them so when they get to chemistry and you're talking about molecules and atoms and things that they just can't see. They're a little bit more prepared. They have a little bit more under their belt, uh, and they do they do better at chemistry as a result. That's yeah. So we're not officially a physics first school, but we we're firmly ensconced in in a uh, in an early physics program. We have three full time physics teachers. We teach a lot of we teach a lot of kids physics. I'd like to dig into some of the activities that work well in your classroom. Uh, so can you share an example of, let's, let's say, one or two labs that you've used with great success? And what is, sure. what is it about the student experience that made these stand out? One of the very first ones we do every year, and this comes straight from modeling, is we do a constant velocity uh, activity where we give the kids a battery-powered car and tell them to go out in the hallway and collect data to, to uh, be able to come back and tell us what the what the speed of the car is and how they know. Um, and it's really kind of a nice activity because it kind of gives us a chance to diagnose where their data collection skills are at the start and where their data display skills are. What do they know? Um, I get an awful lot of bar graphs uh, that mm-hmm. on that first activity. You wouldn't think mm-hmm. you would with position and time data, but I get an awful lot of bar graphs out of position and time data. It has a nice linear pattern. But mm-hmm. it's entirely the wrong data display. Um, anyway, and, and we and we have the kids talk about that. We often have them prepare um, either a whiteboard poster or a page that we can put on a uh, and project up onto the screen and have them talk through kind of as a practice oral presentation what they did, why they did it, how does their data lead them to the conclusion they get to, and try to really hammer in or at least introduce some of those fundamental ideas. Um, it's a lot of fun. And I think it's successful because, because the kids like playing with the cars, right? And mm-hmm. almost every, somebody almost always discovers that, A, the cars don't go straight. And so we have, right? <laughs> yes. It just never goes straight. And so then, it's, then we have a nice conversation of what did you do to make it go straight? Because you can't really get great data when it's going in a, in a, in a circle or a spiral um, and some of them run it against the wall and some of them tap it with their, with their meter stick. So, you know, lots of different solutions. Some of them just don't worry about it and try to measure a curved line. Um, (laughs) But we get a chance to talk about that. Uh, We get a chance to talk about good data collection techniques. How much data is enough data for something like this? Um, How does, how does data in a table or a graph help you learn something. Of course, then that gets us to the kinematics of constant velocity and, you know, simple linear equation. Um, 
But that's a lot of fun, and, and I think it's successful because the kids enjoy playing. They enjoy that concrete, hands-on sort of thing. We do another one we've used for the last couple of years, and, and this year we actually bought a bunch of Pasco carts that we're going to try this in real life this year and see how it turns out. Um, but but we, uh, we've used, the, in a couple of years past, we've used the, the FET uh, lab for collisions to teach conservation of momentum. And I think that one's successful. I think it's less fun. It's a little more tedious, especially on the computer. Um, but, I, but I think that one's successful because they kind of get to see the action. I think it's going to be a lot more fun when we use the Pasco carts and they get to collect that, watch that data be collected in real time um, using the smart carts. I think it'll be a lot more fun. I don't know. We try very hard every, I don't know what different people call call their divisions of their topics throughout the year. We generally call it units um, in amongst our group. Uh, and so each unit, we try to have some kind of a, some kind of an introductory paradigm lab that, that really clearly demonstrates the concept we're trying to teach. So if we're trying to teach constant velocity, we have the car. If we want constant acceleration, we, we roll a steel ball down a ramp. Um, if we have momentum, we have carts of different masses, and we're trying to calculate that. So we try to have some kind of a paradigm lab that, that illustrates pretty clearly and unambiguously the concept we're trying to get across that we can do a lab, we can talk about the data, we can kind of build off of there. That's really all following the modeling, the modeling paradigm. Yeah. Um, and, and then, and then we kind of branch out from there. We also try to end, we also try to end every term. So we were on quarters. We try to end every term with some kind of a big activity that, right, that, that ties in. It's not, it's not, we don't, we don't have them do all the really nasty calculations and all the really hard physics mm -hmm. with it, but some kind of a, some kind of an activity or uh, project that, uh, that kind of pulls in various concepts that we've learned that term. It's a nice break so the kids have a chance to catch up on all their late homework at the end of the term. They don't write, we're not giving them extra assignments right up to the very end. Um, and is something interesting and fun to do. Yeah, that modeling framework is is very powerful. And I've, I've done modeling instruction for, for many years as well. And it's so great to you know, basically in the first day of class, almost you're sending them out in the hallways and here, let's take some measurements because it's, you know, that's pretty easy to do. It's pretty just easy to start thinking about. And it's so easy also to spend two weeks on something as simple, seemingly simple as constant velocity with all oh, you yeah. can do and graph comparisons and act out this line. And, you know, I find myself even at the college levels, like, whoops, I spent a little bit too long there and acceleration is <laughs> going to be the hard one. <laughs> exactly. And then I ended up, I ended up shortcutting that a little too much. <laughs> Well, that's okay. Like I say, it takes it takes three or four times. I'm convinced of seeing acceleration before some of them really ever start to grasp it. Anyway, but, you know, and in in high school, it's not so much. I would love for them to come out really loving physics and knowing a lot of physics, but it's not so much that as it is believing in themselves and knowing that they can do hard things if they put some effort in, and recognizing that they can succeed at a, at a difficult academic topic. Even if they, you know, they didn't get straight A's necessarily, um, but they can be successful and, and enjoy it, and hopefully, hopefully, spark some interest so that some of them, so that some of them want to go on. I've I've got several students I know of from years past that that are now NASA engineers, and I've got one. I, I teach a, a concurrent enrollment class with our through our, uh, with our local university here, um, and the the 
liaison, the concurrent enrollment liaison in the physics department is actually one of my former students, which is kind of fun um, that, he, that he went on and did that. So it's, it's just it's just kind of fun stuff. I, I'm not bragging like I was completely responsible for their success. They had some of that interest on their own, but but it's just kind of it's kind of gratifying to see the kids want to take an interest and move on. Yeah, and, and just you know, one last digging into your class. Are there any projects that you assign that have been particularly impactful for students as well? Like I said, we try to end every quarter with some kind of a some kind of a project, something that something that uh, generates interest, something that generates a desire to want to learn more. We don't always and we usually talk about the physics, but we don't always analyze all the hard physics that goes into it. Um, for those. I, it's, in my mind, it's kind of an opportunity for them to get caught up with with the with the work that they're maybe late on. Um, but we we build balls with bridges and crush them. It gives us a chance to talk mm -hmm. about static forces, um, and and we're back to that Newton's first law and, and constant velocity motion in the sense of it being zero. Um, we we build we have them make some. Uh, hot air balloons. We've got a great big four foot tall propane chimney pipe, basically, that we launch these hot air balloons off of. Mm. There. You know, that we do do that in December. Um, and that's, you know, it's a lot of fun. We get to talk about buoyancy. We get to talk about uh, balanced forces again. Um, and it, but it's, it's stuff that keeps the kids interested and having fun. One of the big projects I think that's important we do um, is we we have the kids uh, in I think it's in January or February. Uh, we have them do a, a big research project, and they hate research projects. Of course, we have them do a big research project <laughs> on on uh, energy, how energy is produced for public consumption. Um, mm. and we assign different topics out. That some kids uh, research geothermal energy, and some research wind energy, and some research uh, fossil fuels and coal. Um, natural gas, right? Solar. We have kind of a, a gamut of of traditional versus green, um, and 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 try to try to get them really thinking a little bit harder of where the energy that they're using at home comes from. One of the points I usually try to make is it's I, I applaud people that want to drive electric vehicles, but all you've really accomplished by having electric vehicles, you've moved that power production to somebody else's neighborhood because. Somebody still has to have that power plant in their in their community that produces that electricity, whether it be whether it be a dam or a coal a coal fired or natural gas plant. Right. I try to get them to think about some of those broader implications. Um, uh, anyway, so I, I think that one's particularly impactful. And then rather than have them write a long a long paper that I have to then read, which I, I absolutely detest <laughs> reading. <laughs> really detest that's, reading. That's the real thing, right? Yeah. It's like, we don't want to have to always read those, right? No. <laughs> I've got 200 students. So I don't want to read these things. <laughs> but, but rather than have to read a bunch, we have them uh, actually make a three to five minute video where they present what, and, so, and it's just, it's so much fun to watch how creative some of them are. Mm -hmm. Some of them just go for the standard PowerPoint with music in the background, right? But some of them are just insanely creative in their approach. They they write these big long scripts and act it out and, and go to different locations. I had one group this year, they got on one of the one of the programming websites where you drag and drop the and link I don't know what it was called and, and link the different programming elements and they created an entire animation 
with with voiceover and sound and this animated animated video 100% in this programming in this programming language website. It was really cool. <laughs> I just okay. I really really like watching how creative they are. Yeah, I do. I I've started over the last couple of years doing one of my projects towards the end of the year once they're once they've been with me for a while where I say, "Okay, now we're going to the presentation you have to do, the only thing you can't do is a stand and talk PowerPoint." It's like you got to you got to think of something else and I give them a whole list of ideas and I I always think, "Oh, I don't know. Like some of them are juniors and seniors in college. Are they sick of this?" It's like, "Do they but they come up with some amazing things. I think they really get into it's like, "Oh, let's come up with a different way to do it." And, and I really, I really love that. And it really gives some of the students a chance to shine and show it's like, Hey, it's like, I've got some of the, these creative skills that I haven't yeah. been able to use as much. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I found that some of my, uh, not to be insulting here, but some of my non-physics brain students really produce some amazing video projects because mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that's where their skills and their interests lie. And, and it's, it's a lot of fun to reward them and give them a good grade for, for what they're interested in doing, what they're interested in producing. No, that's great. That's great. So your award bio also states you worked within a collaborative environment as a mentor for many years, using uh, your experience and expertise to reach beyond your classroom and improve your entire physics team. So while while your impact with students is top priority, I look around me in the world of education and I see that mentorship, true, meaningful, impactful mentorship is very rare. So how have you approached this role? You can call it what you will. I, I like to think of myself as a, as a caregiver and, and uh, mentor. Some people would call it just being a busybody and <laughs> wanting to give advice to other people where it's not wanted um, or necessarily needed. Um, so we have, every time there's a new, a new teacher, a new young teacher, uh, that's coming in. I've had the opportunity of having, I don't know, 10 or 10 or 14 different student teachers um, over, the, over the years. I, I try very hard to instill in them as much as I can my view and philosophy of what teaching physics ought to be. It ought to be fun. It ought to be exciting. At this, at high school level, it ought to be something that doesn't kill interest, that doesn't mm-hmm. so completely overpower them with hard, hard math and hard topics that they just turn away from it completely and you know and never look at it again. Um, it ought to be something that that builds their confidence. And so I try to I try to get that through to student teachers. I've had the opportunity with um, several several of the younger teachers uh, at the at the school I'm at now and, and at my previous school. Um, to just kind of kind of help be a sounding board, help them kind of think their way through, help them because they with experience comes some wisdom and and some you know if you do this, this is what's going to happen. That I know I lacked when I was when I was a young teacher, um, and I appreciated people like like Dwayne and his humor and being able to say, no, this is you know this is what's going to happen. Um, so as much as I can, I try to I try to help them foresee and, and kind of think their way through that. Um, I had I had the opportunity to work uh, with our state board of education uh, in in our assessment department for a while, and was able to I I hope at least able to um, spread some of that to other science teachers uh, across the state and kind of share some of that philosophy in the limited in the limited manner that I was able to and try to try to kind of try to kind of help that as well. I've I presented it at our 
Utah Science Teachers Association and at the NSTA meetings, um, kind of on how we how we at our school try to get sophomores in, how we have built structures and scaffolding for their success, and try to kind of spread that philosophy, I guess, around a little bit. The 10th graders ought to be doing physics and can be successful at it. They just might need a little more structuring and scaffolding given to them to make that possible. I don't think this, maybe this is not true of, of sophomores, you know, 15 and 16 year olds in other states, but, but here they're a little bit flaky at times <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and trying to, trying to help them navigate uh, the flaky time of their lives and, and come out being responsible adults to kind of realize, Hey, I just, I have a task. I just have to get it done. You know, complaining about it is fine, but it doesn't accomplish anything. And in the end, I just have to get it done. And so trying to trying to do that and trying to help the kids with that as well. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's those are the thoughts that kind of I ramble on about. I think there's probably plenty of uh, adults that have some of those flaky times yet. So I, the more we can instill that in our in our youth, uh, the, the better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got several friends who are college professors who kind of say the same thing. That not all college students are quite done with the flaky time of life. <laughs> well, and, and going back sort of to, to how we started the conversation when I was asking you about, you know, what are some of the qualities that, that you think have, have led to uh, have have led to you being awarded over the years. Um, you know, I just want to say, even in just this short, you know, half hour that we've been talking, you know, there's definitely, there's there's definitely something that I can I can easily sense just the way that you you talk, the the, the kindness, you know, just you know what what you what you bring. I mean, you know, it's you know, maybe it's because I'm talking to another Brad, and I'm like, oh yeah, another. No. It's always fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, there's definitely something to you that is not. You know, you're you're not like. You're not like everybody out there. Uh, there's oh, this th- this kindness in your heart is you know it really comes forward, and I I, I know that your students are bene- benefiting from that, and and your your colleagues are benefiting from that, and so you know certainly continue to have your humility that you have about that, but but know that you you are definitely sharing something special with the world. I appreciate you saying that. You know I I love my students, and and I'm not afraid to let them know either through either through kindness, um, uh, just straight up telling them that I love them. And I, I think that's important for them. I think that's important for yeah. them to know. Uh, and I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to call them. I would, I would call them flakes to their face if they were, you know, if yeah. they were being <laughs> I would tell them that. So usually with a, with a laugh and a chuckle and, and, you know, in an appropriate moment where I don't feel like I'm, like I'm damaging their, their psyche and their self-importance. But anyway, thank you for your kind words. So I'd, I'd like to tie up our conversation about your experiences and projects by reimagining the future. Okay. What do you hope to see next in the world of science education, particularly at the high school? Wow, I, that was uh, that's a tough question. That's a tough question because so much so much of teaching high school feels like lather, rinse, repeat. You know, <laughs> as as you go from one from one year to the next year. Uh, the kids, the kids don't seem to change. Of course, they're different kids, but the kids don't seem to change, and therefore, I don't feel like I'm changing. I've got a lot, a lot more gray than I used to when I look in the mirror. I guess I would like to see a situation where kids are not afraid to try hard things because of how it might affect their grades. Um, where kids uh, have nurturing and caring teachers that allow them to. Uh, try a couple of times to succeed and right and not 
and not just say, well, sorry, you didn't meet the deadline and slam the door. Now, I know that happens. I, I, I don't think it's, I hope it's not as prevalent as it used to be, um, or as I feel it used to be at least. I, I would like there to be, I would like kids, to, I guess I would like kids to be able to succeed at hard things and recognize their potential. Um, and I know that's, I know that's not new. I know that's been true for eons. Um, that that's what, that's what adults often want for, for the next generation, um, is to be successful and to, and to be able to, to believe in themselves. But that's, that's what I would like. I would like kids to take hard subjects because they're interested and learn that they can be successful at them. You know, I, I haven't, I can be honest, I haven't loved the online school that we've had to do so much of this year because mm-hmm. I've missed the face-to-face interaction with the kids. And even when we had face-to-face, it was with, you know, masks on. So, yeah. um, and I haven't, I haven't loved that because I felt like I was more distant from my kids. Uh, I felt like, like I didn't get to know them as well. Um, every, you know, everything's on canvas for them to look at, which is wonderful. At the same time, you, you certainly lose out on some of that personal, that personal touch. And I guess, I guess it's the personal touch that in my mind, at least makes education so much fun. No, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I I think there's certainly a lot bubbling in the world about the, the online teaching space and, you know, I tried my darndest this semester to have as much in person as possible because yeah. I I know, I know the value in 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 that in in that personal interaction, being with somebody in the classroom, and and one and one thing I I almost heard you saying in there was I I think if it would ever be possible to move to a system where we don't have grades anymore, I don't know what that looks like. There's a lot of thoughts about it out there, but it's 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 a way that now you you pull this extrinsic motivation piece away. It's like, it's not even yeah. there anymore. Yeah. And it, it may open up students to, to go, to go forth and do those challenging things that they're not quite sure if they can do with, with no fear of giving it a try. Yeah. yeah I, I, and I try to create in my room, at least I try to create a safe space where kids can, where kids can fail. They can not do it right. And they're not going to find that they're being that they're being harshly judged. They just get a chance to do it over and and learn from the experience. Um, and I, I wish there was more of that out there in the world. I, I kind of you know we won't talk about grades. That's that'll, that'll start a whole nother long 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 <laughs> conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but yeah, maybe and maybe that's maybe that's just my my uh, upbringing watching old Star Trek for so long. Kind of kind of coming through. That seems to be the seems to be the the philosophy that Gene Roddenberry had. <laughs> so, uh, well Brad, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's really been a pleasure for me. Thank you. It was a great pleasure to me too. I enjoyed it. I need to talk to more Brads. They're pretty great. Okay. I, I feel like I say this so often, but I really enjoyed my conversations with Brad this episode and Ann Cox in the next one. For my regular interviews, I focus on some bit of research or a particular specialty that the person brings to the teaching world. But for these two conversations, I focus instead on the person and what they were bringing to their classroom and to their students on a daily basis. I feel like that helped me, and hopefully you, connect with them a little bit more as human beings in this very human and personalized thing called teaching that we do. To learn more about Brad and to read his AAPT bio for the award, visit the show notes page on your podcast app or visit physicsalive.com slash PZ21 for the Paul Zitzowitz Award. That's physicsalive.com slash PZ21. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so that you can stay up to date with each episode as it comes out. You can also find updates at Physics Alive on Twitter and Physics Alive page on Facebook. 
You can reach me there or at brad at physicsalive.com. If you enjoy the show, leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. These ratings help put Physics Alive on the radar so that other educators can find it. Thanks again for listening in, and I hope you've been inspired by Brad's teaching journey. Today's action step, write down two qualities that you hope to exemplify in your classroom. And if you'd like, share these in the comment box at physicsalive.com pz21. Please join me again for the next episode of Physics Alive. Until then, may you experience a few weeks of summer rest and rejuvenation, and be well.